I would need to learn a lot. I don't know nearly as much as you and probably the rest of your listeners do about Amazon. My natural curiosity, like I always tend to look at stuff. I go down weird YouTube rabbit holes about that stuff as of late. But no, the reason why I would choose Amazon is that Amazon as a marketplace has a built-in just audience. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. But if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 435. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and grills, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. Now I'm going to go crazy and imagine if you're an Amazon seller, you may want to broaden your sales channels from Amazon, not least because of the suspension risk that we all have hanging overhead like a sword of Damocles if we sell just on Amazon. So a lot of Amazon sellers I know, quote unquote, are also seriously considering selling on Shopify or another direct-to-consumer website, and indeed many of them are, but it's not a simple transition. So we're going to talk about all things to do with that sort of that space with Chase Clymer. So Chase Clymer is my guest today. He's the co-founder of Electric Eye. They create Shopify-powered sales machines like the Thought from strategy and strategic design and development decisions. He's also the host of a podcast. So kind of dubious congratulations from me. I know how much work that is weekly podcast with honest advice to increase sales and grow the businesses. That's honest e-commerce if you want to check that out. So Chase, that was quite the, the resume. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Second time's the charm, everybody. A little behind the veil there. We screwed up the first time. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? You get to do things second time much, much more cheaply in digital media than you do with products, but the same basic thing applies. Absolutely. So Chase, obviously you, you're a, a direct-to-consumer kind of focused guy. I'm an Amazon-focused guy, but I am familiar with the idea of talking to somebody who shock horror doesn't sell on Amazon or does, but mostly focus on Shopify because I've been running a, a podcast with my co-host there, Jason Miles, who's a Shopify fanboy. So it's not a complete utter culture shock, but nevertheless, this always comes up. Let's deal with this first kind of slightly crash question first. If you were going to start an e-commerce brand today, what would you use, Shopify or Amazon and why? You're not gonna believe my answer. I would probably, I would probably use Amazon to, to if I was going to start a brand, I would use Amazon. I would need to learn a lot. I don't know nearly as much as you and probably the rest of your listeners do about Amazon. My natural curiosity, like I always tend to look at stuff. I go down weird YouTube rabbit holes about that stuff as of late. But no, the reason why I would choose Amazon is that Amazon as a marketplace has a built in just audience. Therefore, you can test and find product market fit of whatever product insanely fast. 
versus trying to do that on Shopify. And we will probably get into that specific piece a lot here soon. But the key word to the, your question here, if I was going to start a brand today, what would I use? I would start on Amazon to test my product to get some initial feedback. But I would probably rapidly iterate once I find initial success on a, in a marketplace type setting into trying to build an owned audience on my own platform from a profitability and just my opinion of a sustainable, sellable business. I believe, and this I could be wrong here, and this could be another great part of conversation. It's a little bit more of an asset if you have an owned audience versus the type of audience you get with an Amazon store. Amazing. So that's a great answer straight out, out of the gate. As you say, I'm, I'm learning all these Americanisms these days. Occasionally, my British friends or family kind of stare at me. Well, I want to learn all language. of yours so I can surprise my friend's wife. Because uh, I can teach you some interesting things, but most of them are quite rude because we're quite direct here in Britain. But um, so first of all, interesting. So start versus expand. Very, very interesting that you've got that difference there. I'm not going to argue that you've got a more sellable business in some ways, or it's certainly more defensible. So the multiples of profits that I expect to get for an owned sales channel and owned audiences, you put it, which is an interesting phrase, are certainly going to be more valuable. The sellability of it partly depends on whether people are hunting for a particular type of business, right? We had the whole Amazon aggregators thing and they went completely crazy one way and now they've gone crazy the other day. So in other words, they were buying everything which had some kind of sales and now they're selling buying nothing. So, but yes, that's excellent reasons. Now let's dig into a few of those things. First of all, um, at what point then would you start iterating and what point would you say I've got enough products tested? Cause presumably if you've got one product that's you, you've tested three, you found one product that takes off really well on Amazon. I'm guessing that's a little bit early to transition to Shopify or am I wrong? So. This is the rub in e-commerce, regardless of what platform you're using, is finding product market fit, I think, is the hardest thing in the world. And it's kind of this ubiquitous term. And I, I ask founders on our show all the time, like, when did you think... In, in some roundabout way, I asked them, like, when did you think you had it? Or how did you know that you were onto something, right? And that the question it really is, is like, when did you get product market fit and trying to reverse engineer how they did it, right? And what I've learned from hundreds of these interviews is... It has to do with them just continually being obsessed with their customer and asking for feedback and iterating on the product. And once it shifts from kind of needing sales to like organically just getting sales, right? It's this, they're just happening on their own. I believe like you start to get onto something of product market fit. Now, if you were to want a number, right? Throw something like out there. In the thousands, I think it really depends on your average order value and, and and stuff like that. You need to be just getting a decent amount of sales a month. But you know, if I was just gonna like draw a line in the sand, it's like you get you build this thing up to like five figures in revenue a month, just in top line, right? I you know I think that that's probably a decent like telltale sign that you're onto something here. This would be worth investing in building out your own channel. And those types of hard numbers, like, you know, I'm going to use a lot of like thousand million, like $10,000, like numbers all today. And just going to get out there and say it's like everyone's unique. It, I'm just kind of drawing a random line in the sand with some of these things. But if you've got these indicating factors and you really believe in it, ask someone that's smarter than me and they'll really let you know what's going on. Um, but one thing I will say about when should you transition? There's another question there. It's like, should you transition, period? And it depends on your product. 
And so if I was going to build a product, I would build a product that was more on the luxury side and less on the commodity side, which is already, I believe, harder to do on Amazon. We can, I don't know. Let's say I'm not an Amazon expert, but it, it, it's you want something that's less commoditized. Amazon loves... I would say like a deodorant's commoditized, but like a luxury merino wool sweater brand would be more on the luxury side where you are selling about the benefits and the value of the product versus the solving for a need. And when you find brands that are like that, something that's more commoditized tends to be lower on the average order value side of things with thinner margins. Whereas something that's more on the luxury side of things tends to have higher margins and is a higher AOV. The reason that matters is Brands that have low margins and low AOV tend to continue to have that when you build your own platform. And the juice might not be worth the squeeze when you come out with the same result as far as profit and sales, building, you know, investing tens of hundreds, whatever, into building out your own Shopify store where it just is the same amount of money you were making on Amazon, but you now you just are doing it in two places and it's twice the amount of work. Yeah. And probably more than twice the overheads, I'd imagine. So that's very, very interesting. So a couple of reflections then from, I always take notes partly because it helps me absorb all the great stuff that experts like yourself bring. And the first thing is um, the commodity versus AOV, by the way, average order value, just in case yeah. anyone's missed that one. Well, are they, it's something different on Amazon, isn't it? I would call it average order value, but maybe it's something else <laughs> that I haven't come across. I've heard most of the abbreviations of the Amazon space, but yeah. there's always a new one. Anyway, so that, that's that's what we're talking about. So could you give a couple more examples of that? Because I think this is a really excellent question. Should you transition at all, i.e., you know, you start on Amazon and then do you actually bother moving anywhere else? Yeah, uh, like sort, I mean, of, you, sort of commodity type things that you would suggest not doing. Because I'm just mentally going through my clients' brands and thinking, would they be candidate based on this very excellent way of looking at it? Well, here's a here's a great here's a great kind of thing too. Is like the way I think about e-commerce, just instinctively in in directing consumer brands is a little bit different than the way you think about brands. I think a little bit because Amazon's world has a lot of like resellers as well, and I would probably just say, don't do it. <laughs> like if you're a reseller, stick to Amazon and eBay and all those other marketplaces because it's they they have such a higher amount of people looking for those types of refurbished or used products versus building out your own brand to do that is going to be an insane amount of work to get the same result. And what I mean is it's going to be a lot of work to invest in content marketing or paid advertising to get the amount of traffic and sales on your own channel, i.e. a Shopify store, versus just doubling down and doing what already works on your Amazon store. Um, so, you know, an example of like a reseller would be like you're you great at selling used books or video games or camera equipment, right? Those types of things where you're doing something that it, one it's not your own brand, right? That I would say probably not going to find success on on your own Shopify store. Now, on the flip side of that is if you're building out a cool product, something in like a new product line. I'm trying to think maybe like a coffee brand. I know there's a lot of really successful brands doing coffee, especially with the Keurig type stuff, or uh, what's the other one, Nespresso. That you know, that could go both ways, right? It really depends on how you want to play it and how you want to spin it. You know, what else would be a good example here? I think furniture could go both ways, really, to be honest. I think that just where you're putting the price points and, and the value and just the the work that goes into the content on there, you could you could really go both ways on that. Home goods are pretty successful on both platforms, I think. Hmm. So let me ask a different way of dividing it up then. So I guess we talked about average order value and margins. So we probably ought to put some kind of, as as you said, how long is a piece of string, but some kind of numbers on that. 
But also before we even get into that, let's ask another more fundamental should you transition type question. Your metric that you just used was top line revenue. And yes, there's always a crude metric and it may be, you know, variable in different markets, but let's say five figures, so $10,000 or pounds a month up. But what about the size of the catalog? Because my understanding, and, and this is an interesting sort of broader discussion before we plunge back into this specific question. Yeah, no, my no, understanding yeah. of the equation you're solving for with with their owned, what do you call it, direct to consumer site is the cost of acquiring customer versus the long term customer value. And obviously, a part of that is the average order value, right? So do we therefore need to have a big catalog in order to make that viable? And is that even the right equation? And let's just deal with that. For that's me. that's such a good question. That's going to send us down a different little rabbit hole. But first, catalogs on Amazon, you can kind of get away with being a little more unique and interesting with your offerings because you could have, you know, some art supplies and some used books and be selling electronics in the same Amazon account. And it, you know, doesn't affect the brand because conceptually to the customer, this is an Amazon store. Whereas if you tried to do that same exact just roll up of of products on a Shopify store, someone's going to be like, what the heck is this internet bodega? And it's going to be probably not as successful because it doesn't make much sense. right? So with product catalog, it's like when you're building out your own store, the key here is you're building a brand. Like this is going to be branded products. You're going to be investing in content, copy, whole nine yards to really elevate this thing above just a t-shirt. No, this is the best men's t-shirt for guys over six foot, right? You're getting really specific and solving a really a real problem and really leaning into this thing. So as far as catalog size goes, if you have one flagship product that rules, I would say go for it. You can go build out your own store. And this is now where you start talking about e-commerce in general. It doesn't have to be a Shopify store. If you just build out your own store on any platform, I'm going to say Shopify because I love Shopify. But you know, if you're talking to any e-commerce expert, like everything's a nail if all they've got is a hammer, right? So, but like, say you've got this one flagship pro- product that's crushing it on Amazon. And to your question of like, what's a well, would you love an average order value to be above seventy five dollars? Because the cost for acquisition for paid ads on like the direct consumer side of things is just outrageous these days. And if you can like out of the gate have an average order value above seventy five bucks, you're gonna have much part margin in there to start to pay to acquire customers through Facebook and Google and not cry about it. So back to you know, you've got this flagship product that's doing really, really well. You having one product with one story to tell with one offer to iterate upon is infinitely easier easier to you just mentally as a founder or an owner, however you identify, then like having a dozen products you're trying to test and iterate upon and, and do this with, like that you just don't have the mental capacity. That's something I find a lot of people doing wrong is they are trying to do too much all at once. And it's really just like, no, no, no. Simplify it. You, you know, do maybe two or three marketing activities, like in one per kind of stage of the funnel and call it a day. Like once you get over to the platform and you're really building it out. But I, I believe I answered most of your questions there, kind of in a roundabout way. Yeah, I, I, I bunged too many classic interviewing. No, no, to put too many questions in one go. After like a thousand interviews, whatever I've done for this podcast now, I should know better. But no, it's um, fine. I, I'm, I'm hitting you with stuff that's getting, making you genuinely curious. <laughs> so it's throwing yeah, you I'm off. Genuinely your curious. So the AOV. So really, I suppose we talk about average order value. 
I guess that the number that matters is the gross profit, right? Uh, I guess. So you've got the cost of acquiring versus the profit and the average order value at $75 plus is going to be only relevant if the profit margins at a certain level, right? Yeah. So I'm guessing, and just so what sort of profit are we needing roughly, do you think? 40 plus is what you want to shoot for. 40 plus, okay. Yeah. You know, if you can get away with it, the more the merrier, because this is just cash in your pocket. The more, of course it is, yeah. the more margin you have to play with, the more you can spend to acquire a customer, to grow the business, to make that next big purchase before the holidays. Like, there's a lot of reasons to do it. A lot of yeah. first time founders set their price point by the market and not by what the, and by what I mean there is they set their price point based upon like, what are other people on Amazon selling this for? Which is just completely, crazy idea to me it's like no like how much can you sell this thing for just because everyone else is selling this product for $25 doesn't mean you can't sell it for $45 with better pictures and a better story mm. yes yeah, very true so just to clarify the nuts and bolts profit $40 that would that's $40 rather than 40% oh like per see now we're getting all over the place because yeah. it, like per item it, it it really depends like is this brand selling like one item that's over $75 okay. or is it a bundle that's going over $75 yeah. but Good questions yeah I, I was definitely more on the 40% range is kind of like okay. gross gross profit margin okay so just just to put it in really simple numbers then just as, as with the understanding that everything's how long is a piece of string and this is all relative yeah. so the profit margin of 40% plus and an average order value of $75 plus gives you a sort of reasonable fighting chance of Acquiring the customer and not crying about it. Is, is that a summary? Yeah, basically, if you talked to any paid media professional, which I am not, I just know too much about this industry because I've been in it forever. And they're going to ask you specifically, like, what's your best offer? What's your average order value? Right? Like, what's your gross margin on your products? And then they're going to run the math real fast and be like, well, you have a fighting chance here. This is something that's scalable with paid ads. You know, we're talking about Facebook or Google or, you know, there's TikTok now and all those other ones, but that's the question they're going to ask. And if those numbers aren't there, it technically doesn't mean the end of the world. There are other ways to get you know more eyeballs on your product, but for the first route that everyone kind of looks at, which is paid media, those are kind of the numbers that you want. Brilliant, thank you. That's a beautifully clear answer. And look, you know, I know it's an average and all the rest, but that gives you a really a wake-up call, which explains why my clients who are selling successful Amazon running a Shopify store where they're making whatever, a 50-pound sale and 10 pounds so that it could be dollars. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. 10 pound gross margin. And their cost of acquiring customers 20 pounds, which I think is actually pretty good. But of course, if you've got one product selling for 50 pounds at 20% margin, which is a little bit low anyway, but you know, then of course, maybe it's a higher margin, but the 10 pounds is th what they get out of it. Then of course... That's not scalable, yeah. right? That's not doable. I was just in Austin, Texas, two or three weeks ago for an event called The Whaleys, which was kind of an award show put on by a new e-commerce app called Triple Whale. They do kind of a first-party pixel, help you with analytics, a really attribution for your ad spend, right? Um, and during this, the guys from My First Million did a live podcast. And this conversation kind of came up during that podcast, during the Q&A. And someone was talking about Oh, if like I've got a gross margin that's under twenty percent on my product and it's kind of a one-time deal, like what should I do? And I believe it was Mazad Lee. He said I would find a new business to run. He's like, I don't mean to be mean. He's just like, but why would you invest all your time and energy in something that isn't that scalable, right? So sometimes people need the hard truth. I'm also on that podcast. I ask a question if you want to go find me. I don't know if it's out yet though. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, hard truths. I mean, I. Yes, I've had conversations like that many times with clients. The ones I prefer are 
out of your catalog, of, if you built up a big catalog over time, often resellers will do this, but the same basic principle applies, I think, in private label. I've got clients who've, who've had like up to two 2000 product lines, which is a heck of a thing to manage. But anyway, it breaks down to the same thing, which is don't sell this, this, and this. Why would you? Because you, you keep saying you have to have a big catalog for some abstract reason, but you could put all the same capital into these things over here with a 50% margin that are going out of stock, unsurprisingly, right? So that's, that's always my argument. Do you have the same kind of discussions with your clients? It, oh man, it's so often it's this Socratic question. You just keep asking why till you get to the root of it. And it's like, well, because my competitors are doing it. And it's like, cool. Do you, you know that they're profitable? Like, or are you going to yes. take the advice of like the school of wisdom? You know, yeah. there's obviously reason, reasons to break the rules. And I see many, many businesses doing it and doing it well. But you kind of need to take a step back. If it isn't working for you, maybe invest your energy somewhere where it is working. Yeah, beautifully put. Well, that's going to be a, an end of a, a section in the podcast in my mind because that's, that's, you can't argue with that. And to your point, I'm going to mess my own podcast editing up now by saying this. You make an exceptionally valid point, which is this really super simple. We can see what our competitors' unit sales are. You can probably extrapolate pretty accurately the, um, you know, the, the revenue. You have no idea about the cost structure. I mean, you don't have no idea because you probably use the same suppliers if you're unlucky enough to be private labeling very similar products. But you don't know the exact deal and you certainly don't want the cash, even if you know what the profit and loss is, you have no idea about the cash flow structure because they might have a deal where they pay for stuff once it's landed from China versus you're paying up front, which changes the working capital. Do you know what I mean? So then the behind the scenes economics of the products are the things that matter and we never get to see that. I mean, in Britain, you can go and look at their company's house reports and get a bit of an idea, but they won't tell you very much really. I have the same exact conversations with clients when we're talking about Shopify stores, about their kind of marketing channels, even the offer that they're they're presenting, and it's just they'll they'll get caught up in this kind of thing where they need to be doing what their competitors are doing, and we're like, why? Like we know what works for you. Why don't we just double down on what works? And that's often like that. In a nutshell, could should be just free consulting to everybody. Is you already have something that's working, probably just double down on it. That's the next step. Just keep doing the thing that works until it won't anymore. That's oh, something my. that a lot of people get caught up with is they think they need to do something else in parallel with what's already working. It's like you haven't even maxed out what you're doing right now. And oftentimes it comes down to like if you do paid media and it does work, just spend more in the channels where it works. You know what I mean? It's level up the team that's doing that and, and keep doing it, be, be it Amazon ads or, or Facebook ads for like a direct consumer store that you have on Shopify. But you know, that's often like I'm usually sometimes telling people not to work with us. I'm like, why would you? This looks fine. Just go keep doing this until you do need to work with us. Because like I think people just keeping up with the Joneses is another Americanism. You got to do what everyone else is doing, and it, you know, exact, if, yeah, we said if everything's important. Nothing's yeah. important. Nothing's yeah. going to work. And by the way, I was just laughing when you said, "Do I think just double down what works?" Because I was saying the exact same thing to a client today. Like he's fairly early stage; doesn't even hit six, six figures yet. But I was saying. You know, I know it sounds really primitive and simplistic, but I promise you, this is what the most best paid consultancy work with one of my clients who got to multiple seven figures in under the pandemic and, you know, still doing very well. And this expensive consultant has built businesses to $100 million a year revenue, whatever. I said, you know, why don't you just double down on what works and simplify? And like it honestly comes down to that. And that just sounds like you read a business book once and putting yourself out as a consultant. It sounds almost fraudulently simple, right? But you're so right. I've got to just say it's a relief to hear somebody else saying the exact same thing. 
So look, Jason, you mentioned what you said. We're going to talk about optimizing existing stores in the next show, but I'd love to just get, give you a chance to tell us what you do over at Electric Eye in more specific terms. Sure. Yeah. So basically it comes down to two things at Electric Eye. We are usually either migrating brands from a legacy platform over to Shopify. We've done a few transitions or help people get set up from Amazon as well. I'll be very blunt with you about whether or not I think that's a good idea. And then so building that new stores, you know, helping people with their themes, building like new designs for existing Shopify stores. So that's kind of like half the business. There's a lot of big project work. And then the other half of the business is the more nerdy stuff, which usually happens after the first part, which is retainer optimization work. So we're jumping into the data. We're learning about the frustrations, the uncertainties, the reservations that their customers have through nerdy stuff like heat maps, scroll maps, customer interviews, building hypotheses onto as why they're not selling things or things are getting in their own way. Where, where's the friction points of the website uh, and making the website better, right? We're doing kind of more traditional CRO stuff. Kind of within those things is, you know, we believe maintenance is kind of CRO as well. And so we kind of have a, a nice fluid retainer relationship with our clients where sometimes we do need to tackle something that's not as fun, but we'll get it done for them. In general, we're Shopify experts through and through. We're not just saying it. We, we live it, breathe it, do it. It's all we do. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And yeah, I when you say these things, I mean, you, the, the optimization store thing, I mean, I guess maybe you and I share a, a sort of nerdy gene because I like that stuff. And I think one of the reasons I like it, and I can totally understand why a lot of people find it boring because they're more creative side, perhaps, is because of this. Like you've got the same input revenue or products to sell on the shelves, whatever, and you can, with the same inputs, create a better output or get the cash to turn faster. I find that kind of magic. I guess it's like being a good mechanic, right? So I think there's something magic about great conversion rate optimization. Uh, Absolutely. And worth. the number one way to increase your return on ad spend, which is constantly going up. Well, the cost per ads is constantly going up. So the return on ad spend is constantly going down because your products probably aren't going up in price to match it. But back to what I was saying is like the best way to increase your return on ad spend is to increase your average order value and, and to increase the conversion rate on your website, which is basically what CRO does. Yeah. And CRO, by the way, conversion rate optimization, again, if you haven't come across another three-letter abbreviation in the world of them on online. Well, that sounds great stuff. So obviously you've got your podcast, Honest E-commerce. I think it's honestecommerce.co. Is that the place to find it? Yes. they The guy that has .com, he lives like 45 minutes away from me, funny enough, and just lets it go to, to poop and I really want it. But whatever, we build out a great domain on .co and it works. But yeah. Um, so our our podcast, I'm usually interviewing brand founders and really asking them about the the story, where the idea came from, what like how did they turn it from an idea into like something to test, how they like found product market fit and how they kind of scaled it. You know, I try to get a little more technical and nerdy. I know people like to learn the specifics and stuff, but that's the that's the majority of the show is is those interviews with brand founders. And then we do a lot of bonus episodes as well, where I'm interviewing subject matter experts, other agency owners or freelancers or consultants in the industry, people from apps or people kind of on the other side of the of the field. Perhaps Michael will be on talking about Amazon soon. But yeah, the show is pretty fun. You can check it out. Sounds great. I like the idea of interviewing brand founders. I've done a bit of that. I need to make more effort to do that, actually, because I enjoy those conversations because they're 
Yeah, they're not trying to sell an angle and they're not slick podcast interviewees sometimes, but sometimes they have super interesting personal reasons why they started something, which is probably on the verge of being marketed to hell in their their website and then they're going to appear at an Amazon conference next year. I've seen that before. So it's kind of nice when people aren't doing that. So I believe that if you've got people that are doing into the seven-figure mark on Shopify, you can do some kind of free help or a strategy call. Is that right? I've got that in my notes here. Yeah. So we have what we call a Shopify diagnostic, but I can kind of spin it off and really help you kind of figure out whether or not Amazon, like coming over from Amazon is right for you or if, you know, should you invest in like optimizing your existing Shopify store if you've already made the transition. So that diagnostic offers out there. You can just head over to electriceye.io, schedule the contact like contact button and just say that you heard of me from this podcast and we'll make sure that we can get on that first call, see if it's the right fit for you and we can get that diagnostic kind of set up for you. Brilliant. And so would you say that applies to anyone who's doing about a million plus on their Amazon store currently then? You're willing to extend that? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Again, yeah, I, yeah, I you know, I hate drawing hard lines in the sand here. If you think you guys got it, just reach out to me. I'll let you know if it's something that we would be helpful, like if we could help you or not. We're, we're very honest about only taking on, you know, things where it will work for everybody. Yeah, it makes total sense. And you got any kind of retainer, you have to work that way. Otherwise, it becomes a nightmare for everyone. And yeah, so that's really, really good. I mean, I think that we, you've given us tons of stuff to think about. Is there anything? So we're going to talk about optimizing existing store in a minute, which obviously is your meat and drink. Is there anything else about the Shopify versus Amazon, if that's the right way of putting it, that we should have talked about? No, I think we really dove in deep and got into some weird corners there. Just for anyone that's listening that for some reason won't listen to the next episode, you, we, I also wrote a kind of a book on the scaling stuff. So you're going to get a sneak peek of that. If you just want to head over to brandscalingframework.com, you can download our ebook and it kind of walks you through the three KPIs that matter for like direct consumer brands and kind of like a crash course in conversion rate optimization and marketing funnels. So it's a fun little read. It's all value, no fluff. And that will be very helpful to anyone out there listening to wants to understand more about, you know, building your own business on like a Shopify type situation versus Amazon. Brilliant. That's really worth having. Great. Well, look, for the moment, it just remains for me to say Chase Clymer from Electric Eye. Thank you so much for coming on and really interesting debate about Shopify versus Amazon. Discuss. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 435. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.